You're listening to the Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 1, Techno Zeitgeist, Inside the Machine. So today we're going to be talking about our relationship to technology or technology's relationship to us, however you want to think about it. And I thought we'd start with you, Peter, because you interact with technology every single day pretty well, especially in terms of the work you do and the people that you interact with who often come to you with questions, with problems to do with their technology. And I'm one of them. I've come to you with questions about my computer, my iPhone, etc. And so I wanted to ask you, first of all, in terms of your relationship to technology and theirs, what do you think their issue is with technology? Why is it that so many people come to you with these issues? And what does it say about their relationship to technology? That's a very interesting question, Harry. There are some fundamental things that are common to nearly everyone I meet. And one of the most obvious ones is the amount of time that I need to spend with people initially just getting on the same page in terms of communication because they don't know the language. Okay, yeah. What I mean by that is I'm trying to explain something, but even if I keep it in non-technical terms, there are still some terms that are associated with certain things with the technology that they're employing. So in order for me to tell them something, I have to describe that particular item as simple as it can be. If it's not a term that they're familiar with, I then have to explain the term before I can even begin to instruct or to discuss whatever it is that we're discussing. Mm -hmm. And so do you find that there's a kind of a resistance in people to learn that language generally? The usual response I get is, I don't really want to know that. I just want to get my problem solved, which not everyone answers like that. Some people are a little bit more patient, but impatience is very common when it comes to technology, because when I think of the amount of time that it took me to acquire a variety of skills, and I'm constantly learning. It's not as if it's an ending thing. It's constantly changing. They want to solve problems that would have taken them far longer to solve under normal non-technological systems. And yet with the technology, they expect to solve it quickly and they don't want to understand why and why doesn't it work? And I need it now. You know, yeah. Not everyone takes that position, but it's, it's common. And where does that come from? You know, because I find myself being less patient than I used to be around all of this stuff. And it's almost as if technology itself has laid in the expectation that things have to go smoothly, quickly, and efficiently. And when they don't, we feel angry, we feel pissed off, like, come on, computer, what's wrong with you? Right. So it seems to me that technology and the technological viewpoint has to have something to do with that. Oh, absolutely, because we're sold this kind of bill of goods regarding technology that it's going to solve every problem, it's going to solve it quickly. Uh, the whole purpose of having it is to make your life easier, to make things quicker. Right. However, that's a relative thing because... First of all, time is, is different for different people. For some people, two seconds is too long. For some people, two minutes is fine uh, in terms of, you know, even an explanation. I think it's very similar to so many other things that we've always done. 
the differences in the speed, the the expectation of the speed. Because even if you were gardening for the very first time and picked up a shovel, there would still be some basics that you'd have to learn in terms of even digging the hole. You, you'd get a hole dug, but to get that hole dug well, you'd probably learn a few tricks as you went. As you gardened more, you would improve your skills. We used to do that really without thinking. We just accepted the fact that we weren't going to know it right away, and we just slowly developed. But with technology, a person goes into a store, buys a device, they have absolutely no knowledge of either the language. Oftentimes, they don't know what to buy because they're not aware of the various power of various items and what it is that they need. And then on top of it, they want to just push the button, turn it on, and get on board with everything. Right. Again, I'm exaggerating to make a point. Not everyone's like that. But it's, it's fairly common. And, you know, this speaks to memory. You're speaking of time and our relationship to it. Digging that hole in the ground and learning those techniques takes time. Yes. And it also requires that we use our memory to acquire these skills and hang on to them. Technology allows us to minimize the use of our memory, essentially. Yes. And so as a muscle, in some respects, it's beginning to atrophy. I believe the atrophy applies also to our way of thinking and our attitude. We're kind of shrinking it ourselves. Our expectations are shrinking that. We're losing the process. Sure. Acquiring information was part of the social fabric of the community. You had to engage the community to learn. Exactly. I think why some people don't have the same barrier or don't have the same difficulty with technology is because they're adopting that very method towards technology. Uh, So, for example, when I encounter a problem, I don't expect to solve it right away. That's because you're fascinated with technology and what it does. What it can do. Now, a lot of people are not as enamored with the doing of things, but more with the being of things thinking of artists, writers, that sort of thing, who are not as enamored with technology and what it does, and so don't have the patience in a way. They don't want to be engaged with that language you talked about that you have to learn in a way to really get it. They just want it to work so that they can get what they really want to do, their art or their book written or their painting painted, right? So, And because the artist doesn't necessarily speak the language of technology, they feel more helpless in the face of it. I consider myself more of a creative person than a technical one. It just happens to be that the technical part for me is part of the creative process in the sense that it allows me to delve into areas that I I otherwise could not delve into. So, for example, even yourself, when we met, I mean, you're a writer, you're a poet, performer. It allowed an exchange, a conversation, even though we're doing two very different things, the two things coincided. At some point, you'd like to use the technology to improve or perhaps make your end of things more efficient. And I, in turn, would like to learn more about your work, the writing, the performance, uh, and so on. Because where my brain goes is what tools can I offer to help that process? Right. The old app syndrome. There's an app for everything. When you think about it, there really is an app for most everything these days. Kind of. Which is very interesting. It's, is, is that like saying there's a tool for every job? Or is that saying something else? Is it saying that no matter where you turn, technology will always be there to say, well, I can help you make it faster, better, stronger, bigger, longer, whatever. Once upon a time, as you know, we used to have to rely on our own ingenuity, yeah. on our brothers or mothers or fathers or help to do the job, create the art piece or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. So it's a whole other world. And here's a question based upon that. Is technology stoppable in the sense that is there an end to technology or is it something that will just continue to advance and grow and evolve and who cares what the artists and writers have to say about the other stuff technology is its own thing it will do whatever it wants and it will carry on forward i think it'll transform like the old energy thing you can't destroy it you can only transform it it converts into something else i don't buy into it 100 percent I see it as a tool. I don't see it as something to take over my life. So ultimately, you control what you're going to do with that specific tool, in this case being technology. So even though I love what an iPhone can do, that phone goes off when I go to bed. I don't pick it up when I'm speaking to someone or having lunch, as one small example. I don't elude myself to think that some app, because it's so wonderful, that I can suddenly write a great book. I still need that specific skill or artistry or craftsmanship. Mm -hmm. So what's more important for me is that people become more informed on the balance of technology in their life, not on it overtaking their life. Right. Well, here's the thing about technology, though. Technology implies that everything is a resource that can be used and manipulated for the greater good. That's the ideal in a way, Mm -hmm. right? But the point I'm trying to make here is that when a human being swallows that worldview, the worldview of technology, then they will start to think that everything is a resource. Everything on the planet is a resource to be used, manipulated for the greater good, whether that resource wants to be used or manipulated for the greater good, as in Mother Nature, as in forests cut down for farming purposes or whatever. Technology doesn't have a morality inbuilt. Understood. So I may not be the right person to answer the question in those terms, because I believe in more of a balanced approach to technology. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree with you that that's what we're sold. We're sold this kind of quick fix. Everything is a resource idea. But I don't believe, despite being in it, that that's the approach that should be taken with it. Well, that's our challenge. We had a good discussion with our friend Andrew Welch not too long ago about values, because he wrote a great book called The Value Crisis, and we're going to produce a a podcast about that um, quite soon. But in that chat, we talked about how our reliance on numbers has kind of suffused everything in society. We, We treat everything as a bottom line. There has to be a bottom line to it. And from my point of view, what technologies connection to that is that it turns human beings into units, into points of data because of of how it looks, how that worldview sees the world as resources, sees the world as units that can be manipulated in different ways. The human being becomes a kind of piece of data. You're talking about measurable units in terms of what we've become accustomed to because everything's profit, loss, being unitized. Yeah. Here's a question. How many people who drive cars could point to the carburetor and tell you what a carburetor does in their engine of their car? What percentage of people do you think could tell you that? I wouldn't know a number, but I'd probably say a minority. A huge minority, I would guess. Okay. So people have been given technology to use without actually being taught the language of it. Yes. From the beginning. And maybe that was a mistake. 
maybe as technology became more and more prevalent in society, there should have been more effort made to help people understand the nuts and bolts of how machines work, how computers work, all of these things, rather than in a way saying, don't worry about it, this is going to make your life easier. Press button A and you'll get your coffee with cream. You know, press button B and you'll get your sandwich. You don't have to know how it works, really. It's not important. What's important is it's going to help you. Great point, Harry. So I agree with that. However, I also think that a lot of information is kept from people. It isn't just not acquired. It's intentionally not given because it's an economy. If you buy a car and I tell you that basically all you have to do is turn the ignition and away you go, as soon as you have a problem, you're going to have to come to me. And then you're going to have to rely on my trust to tell you whether it's a carburetor or a spark plug or your tire inflation is too low, whatever, right? Now, the same thing is happening with technology, but it's more noticeable because it's so much more rapid and it's affecting what you do every day so much more. Before, if you're having a problem with a carburetor, well, you know, if a day or two went by or three, you got your neighbor or you took the bus or you took your bicycle, whatever. You you know, there were ways of getting around it on a temporary basis. Today, technology is such that if you don't get that email or when you call your bank, you don't have that code, you can't do anything. That's right. And wouldn't you agree also that... The people who hold the technological reins really hold the power. Now. Yes, because you're not informed. Also, you're pushed to the edges of society if you're not connected to that religion, if you're not connected to technology now. You're like a social pariah. Uh, really, you are. And there are yeah. people who are technophobes. They really have this aversion to entering into it even yeah. because they feel it's somehow discordant with their their human nature or something. Yes. And at times I understand that. I feel that myself. But because it's so much around us, you can't maintain that stance in the face of it. That's That's my issue with it, is that it's so all-pervasive that you can't know where it might end or might be pulled back in cases where it could be deleterious Yes, because it's so everywhere there's no way to, to fight the beast, you know? Yeah, I completely get it. And in the end, you have an individual decision to make when you're confronted with these things. You can either stop resisting or say it's not something I want to engage in and I'm going to elect to live in a different way. Resistance is futile. Resistance <laughs> is futile. Uh, Welcome to the Borg, number one. I know. Again, I know someone listening to this, you know, might say, oh, yeah, right. You know, like, like it's so simplistic. It's not even real. When you think about it, what's the choice that you have? If you deem something to be either important enough to put the effort and energy in or you don't, or you find some middle road that says, I'm willing to go here, but not here. Well, the choices we have, for example, we have as choices uh, that parents make. Exactly. A parent doesn't have to give their four-year-old a cell phone, doesn't have to put their two-year-old in front of a screen, computer screen, and, and let them play their cartoons on the computer screen. There are some things we can do before our children grow into that world of technology to give them that balance that you seem to, to have. Yes, provided that the parent has the wherewithal and understanding of what it is that they're doing. Very difficult to tell your child not to do that when you're doing it around the clock. Again, I know in many ways it's an oversimplification, but I believe that. I believe that the answer lies in informing people. It doesn't mean you can inform them on every level, every minute, but a parent is going to parent based on his or her own belief system and way of living, generally. The child generally reflects the parent. It's not the other way around. 
Right. Usually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So whatever we habituate, it doesn't mean that they turn out exactly the way we do things, but mm-hmm. there is a correlation. Right? Sure. But when you teach them, you're saying you need to teach them the language, so to speak, to understand what technology really is, etc. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a bit like the guardians of a prison informing their prisoners of how the prison works? So they're inside the prison. They know how the prison works, but they're inside the prison. Right. And the reason they, they could leave, knowing what the prison is about, but they don't because they're so used to being inside the prison that that is their home. Right. And when you see young people these days buried in their cell phones, mm-hmm. three feet from their friend, to me, it's like they're in their own prison. What can we begin to do to change this? I mean, we just can't take a hammer to it? <laughs> you could. You could. And, and typically, that's what's happening. I think that's why... The stress levels are so elevated in our society in general. I see a lot of common ground. Technology is almost like a symptom of a bigger disease. Which is? Lack of connection, looking to outside things to fix our problems, not looking inward, not looking at the things that, and again, I say this loosely because it's, it's relative, the things that really matter. Because if I say that, then you can get into a whole discussion about who decides what really matters. Um, Look at once upon a time, we were a tribal world and tribal worlds have a way of making decisions about what's good for the community by doing it in a way that respects the elders wisdom, for example, respects the the unity of the social uh, group and the history of their society. We don't have that now. We don't have that tempering device that could say, whoa, let's slow this down. Let's look at television when it first came out in the Mm -hmm. early 50s. Let's look at this phenomenon, folks. Is this good? Let's extrapolate into the future. What would it be like if everyone in our society had a television or two? What would that mean? What if we spent more and more time in front of that screen? If there was anyone back then who could have looked at that possible evolution and said, maybe we should slow this down. It is possible to take a hammer to it. But you have to do it early enough to say, whoa, we're going to stop. We're not going to do this. We've got the formula. We've got E equals, equals MC squared. We've got Einstein's formula. We can create that, the atomic bomb, but we're not going to do it. But you need to have that wisdom and that way of working together as a community, as a society, for that to happen. You're talking about a systemic approach versus an individual one. And... Especially in Western culture, we're not, we're not designed that way. We're, we're designed for individuality. The smartphone has taken over the position of the elder through multimedia. Facebook has become the new advisor. Instagram is. So all these things that have replaced, but the base of the replacement, the primary motive is dollars and cents. Calculations are made primarily on a profit basis. Right. So dollars and cents runs the show. And in the case of Facebook and other social media, half-baked opinions can run the show and take over, go viral, what have you. Right. So if there are wise elders, oh my Lord, we're in trouble. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Facebook could be very, very positive. If everybody was more informed, for starters... A lot of people that get on Facebook, they don't get educated as to what it does or doesn't do. They're just content with the fact that they can slap a picture on there. It's like having a powerful weapon and not being aware of what it can do. 
Right. It's more than a powerful weapon. It's a powerful weapon that is your house. You're living inside this powerful weapon. It's not like you have it on the table and you can maybe dismantle it or defuse it. You're living inside of it. That's Mm -hmm. the difference. And so the ultimate question for me is, does technology have an ending? Is there a point where the technological age will give way to another kind of age, which is not technologically dependent so much, but still is forward moving for the human race. I think that's already happening in a lot of pockets in society. And I think a lot of people are even predicting it. Some of them apocalyptic, some in other forms. More and more people actually, even in this modern age, are looking at ways of getting off the grid. I think some people are beginning to see the detrimental effects. It's not the technology in itself. It's the blind obedience to it. It's no different than our politics. What I'm saying is the more informed you are about something, the more you understand, the more involved you are with something, the less likely it is for extremes to occur because we will be our own management system. Mm -hmm. Has your view on technology changed in any way since we've met and began either just discussing or doing these podcasts do you feel any different? Not, not essentially different. I mean, I'm more familiar with certain aspects of this particular technology, what we're doing, uh, which is a nice thing to have. But fundamentally, the relationship with technology is a much deeper issue. To me, it's not a matter of knowledge or of getting data or information about this. And so now it's not so scary. It's not that. It's really what's behind this that is the issue for me, which always I come back to in our discussions about I always come back to that. That it's a worldview. It's not a matter of this and the information about this. It's the worldview that tells me that this is indispensable to me and that my life will be diminished in some way if I don't engage this. That's the issue for me. And in some way, you feel like people also need to know the other side, that it's not necessarily the be all and end all of things. You can't take it with you. (laughs) We're not going to take these mics with us when we fall into the grave or our TVs, or our computers, all that's going to be left behind. It's all the stuff of the planet. It's all objects, really. Just objects. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at connectingdotsmedia.com.